We started this series to talk about the transition to reopening our country during COVID-19. But then last week, we sort of shifted the discussion to talking about racial inequality and injustice in our country and the transition that we're facing as a country with that. And what would have been called a kind of a new normal with COVID-19 and coming back, I'm calling a new, new normal because we're sort of coming back from two different crises together and to figure out what is next for our country and try to transitioning to what is next. The thing is that before we get into going back and reopening our businesses or going back to work or going on vacation, going back to school, or even celebrating Father's Day next weekend, I wanna talk about what is really important. Because for many of us, we found ourselves with more time, or if not more time, a little bit of different sense of time during these crises. And we've been able to really sort of examine and think about what is really important. And for most of us, we've sort of discovered that what is really important is spending time with our family and with our kids. Um, Connected to that, many of us have also discovered the importance of schools and preschools and childcare and daycare and babysitters and our grandparents spending time with our kids as well, right? Uh, maybe some of you have realized the importance of um, eating out and enjoying your favorite restaurant with other people. Uh, maybe some of you have just enjoyed or realized the importance of spending time with other people, that you miss that and you miss that tremendously. And the point is that before we realize it, we're gonna be sort of jumping back into what is a normal or a new normal or a new, new normal, whatever you want to call it, we're sort of going to be back into that thing. And before we know it, we're going to be starting back into our routines, our patterns and our behaviors. And we're going to be back to normal, back to our pre-COVID-19 routines. And, and you don't want that. Your family probably doesn't want that. And especially our black and brown brothers and sisters do not want us to get back into our pre-COVID routines, habits and behaviors. So what is really important? Before we head into this new, new normal, what is actually important? The story that we're gonna to read together today is a story that's maybe familiar to many of you. Um, it's called The Good Samaritan. And the interesting thing about The Good Samaritan is a parable. It's sort of a story that's made up. It's not true. It's not necessarily that it actually happened. It's a made up story that Jesus uses to make a point. And the reason why that parable is even told is because Jesus encounters somebody who is not too happy with what is clearly most important in following God and, and, and knowing and having faith in God. And so he, he has to sort of tell this parable to help this man to see what is really, really important. And it's probably the reason why he doesn't want it to be so clear is because he's not doing what Jesus tells him to do or what he sort of discovers is important. So we're gonna be in Luke chapter 10 if you wanna follow along in your Bibles. We'll have um, the notes in the, the notes section. We'll also have it on the screen or you can jump on the Bible app. We'd love for you to do that as well. Um, but we'll have this uh, on the screen as well, like I said. Luke chapter 10, uh, beginning of verse 25. This is what happens before the parable that many of us are familiar with. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Now, Jesus knew the religious expert was not really interested in learning anything new. He's just there to test him. And so Jesus sort of interacts with him a little bit differently. Uh, because not, he's not actually wanting to learn. He's just there to test Jesus again. So the religious expert says this, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And most likely this man, this religious expert assumed he had life, eternal life. Probably everybody in the audience assumed he had eternal life. Everybody that was hearing this story assumed that the religious expert had eternal life because he's a religious expert, right? He's a religious, religious teacher. He's religious. And yet, what he's asking for is not information. He's not necessarily asking for something new from Jesus. He's really trying to test Jesus to see if Jesus will say something that in some ways will sort of discredit Jesus. And so this man who's a religious expert can sort of discredit Jesus because after all, he's the religious leader, he's the expert, and Jesus is just a guy, a carpenter from Nazareth. And there's a real little bit of tension because nothing good comes from Nazareth. That's what we're gonna talk about a little bit next week. And this, this tension of 
the classes are sort of in play here as well. Verse 26, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Like, how do you read it? This And he's sort of asking him, how do you read it? What do you say? What do you interpret it as? Because I want you to tell me what you think you need to do before we continue on with this conversation. And, and you probably know what to do. So he's kind of pushing the man. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And basically, again, Jesus is sort of saying, I want you to tell me what you believe before I continue on, because I'm not really sure you're here for new information. So I want you to tell me what you think already. And I'm not necessarily going to enter into this discussion with you, depending on your answer. And it's kind of interesting because this guy sort of starts to feel insecure about his answer, even though his answer was what Jesus already said was right. He already affirmed what his answer was and what he thought was already right. And the thing is, again, this man probably wants to make it a little less clear because when it's less clear, you don't feel as responsible. You don't feel as guilty. You don't feel as bad about not doing the thing you know you're supposed to do or what's most important. And I think some of us, if we're honest, we do the same thing sometimes. Who's our neighbor? Well, I don't really know my neighbor next door. I don't ever see them. They just drive into their garage and pull out. I never see them, right? And this man sort of does that same thing. Verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And again, the man's answer is pretty clear. He already said, love God, love your neighbor. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right. But the man then asked, well, who is your neighbor? Who exactly is my neighbor? And the word for neighbor in Hebrew is, is kind of interesting. It basically means somebody who's close by. And the Jews would sort of interpret this. Their general interpretation was anyone who's Jewish. And so they sort of limited the group. That's who I have to love. And then the religious leaders of the Jews said, well, we, we sort of interpret it as it's somebody who's spiritually connected or, or ceremonially clean, following our religious rules. And if they've done that, then then we, we have to love them. But then another group sort of narrowed it down even further to say, well, it's whoever you want to be considered your neighbor. That's who you have to, that's who you have to love and that's who your neighbor actually is. But basically they'd summed it down to, if you don't look like me, I don't have to love you. If I don't like you, well then therefore I don't have to love you. And I, I'm not obligated to do that. However, conversely, if I do like you, well then, okay, I, I'm gonna love you and I'm gonna call you my neighbor. So what I want us to do right now is sometimes we've done some things where we've asked you to discuss or, or think about a question. I want to shift out a little bit different. I want to encourage you to pray a prayer right now before we continue on with our service. And we're just going to take 30 seconds to do this. But I want you to pray this prayer asking God to show you. God, would you open my heart to the people that I need to love, that maybe I've tried not to love, that I've tried to avoid? I've tried to say I don't have to love them because I don't really know them or I'm not around them. Who is that group of people or who are those people in your life? Maybe it's people in your house but most likely it might be somebody that's completely different from you. God, open my heart to the people that I need to love. Would you pray that prayer right now? So now we're gonna get into the parable part of the story. And if you remember, a parable is just a story that's made up to prove a point. And many times the disciples who were closely following Jesus, they wouldn't even get the meaning of the parables that Jesus would tell. Or they wouldn't get it until much later, or they wouldn't even get it until later, later in their lives, in fact. And some parables to this day, we still are not quite sure of the meaning. However, this parable that Jesus is going to tell is really quite clear of what the meaning was for this parable. And again, it's to answer the question, who is my neighbor? So we're going to be in verse 30, continue on verse 30. Jesus replied with a story, again, the parable. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, going from Jerusalem to Jericho was sort of about a 17-mile journey. It was going down about 3,300 feet in elevation. Again, this man's making this journey, and this thing happens to him where he's left 
for dead on the side of the road. Verse 31, by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, why did the priest not stop? We don't know. It doesn't give us the information. Jesus doesn't tell us. But from whatever time the priest saw this man lying on the side of the road until he actually passed him, somehow the priest had convinced himself that he didn't need to stop for, to help this man. Maybe he was afraid. Maybe he didn't have time. Maybe he was going to a religious ceremony and so he didn't think it was important enough. Maybe he, he didn't know the man and he didn't care. Maybe um, he, he thought the man was already dead. We, we don't know. There's a lot of reasons we could put in there. We just don't know. But whatever it was, somehow this priest was able to convince himself he didn't need to stop and help this man who was in obvious need. Continuing on, verse 32, a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And again, we don't know why. Um, he saw this wounded and dying man. He, he came up onto him and then he passed him. And at some point in that way, he decided to, to make some sort of an excuse or reason in his mind. He came up with a reason of why he shouldn't help this man. But from Jesus' description of this man, it's clear that he needs help, right? He's wounded and left for dying. He's beaten up. And so it's obvious that this man needed help. But we just don't know why he couldn't do it, why these two men couldn't do it. Verse 33, then... A despised Samaritan came along, Jesus says. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, if you don't know, a Samaritan is sort of like a half-breed, part Jewish and part a bunch of other things. Because centuries before, a king had sort of taken the Jewish people and taken some Assyrians and some um, uh, Persians and some other conquered people and sort of intermarried them and then like, sort of came up with this new group of people called the Samaritans. And the Jews hated the Samaritans. Like, this was a racist issue for the Jewish people. They despised the Samaritans. And when the Jews had to travel through Samaria, they didn't go through Samaria directly because that would have made them unclean in their minds. That would have been like Samarian cooties. So they would travel a longer distance to go around Samaria so they wouldn't have to actually go through it. This is how much they didn't like Samaria. And Jesus knew this, and Jesus factored this into the story. And the Samaritan in Jesus' parable saw what needed to be done, and he responded likewise. And he felt compassion. He felt appropriately for the situation because he saw what the man needed. That when you see someone beaten and dying, you should respond with compassion. You should feel appropriately for that person. You should feel compassion. And so instead of making whatever excuses, the Samaritan could have made excuses too, right? He probably was a busy guy, had a lot of things going on, but he chose not to make the excuses and he chose to help this man. Continuing on, verse 34. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And this kind of next part, um, I sort of hesitate to say because anytime you sort of look at what wasn't said in something or what wasn't written down, you can get a little bit of misinterpretation. You can misread some things, in fact. But I think it might be interesting, not necessarily biblical, but interesting for us in our current context to note what the Samaritan man didn't do in this situation. The Samaritan man, again, didn't come up with reasons or excuses why he couldn't help. The Samaritan man didn't ask the man any questions about what happened. The Samaritan man didn't come up with a list of reasons or didn't um, tell the man why he shouldn't have been traveling alone. The Samaritan man went up to the, the man who was hurting and he helped him. He cared for him. He had compassion on him. Continuing on. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man and if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And the disciples and the audience are probably thinking like, okay, that's interesting, but this doesn't really answer the question of who is our neighbor? Like, who is actually our neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And so again, Jesus sort of knows this and he sort of pulls out of the story 
And he looks at the man who originally asked the question, and he asks him this question. Now, which of these three that he just described, the priest, the, the temple assistant, or the Samaritan, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? And basically, another, question, another way to say this is Jesus saying, you're asking the wrong who question. You're asking the question, who is my neighbor, when you should be asking the question, who actually helped the person in need? Who actually loved their neighbor? Like, which one of these three people were the one who actually loved their neighbor as themselves? Like, as the command said. And by doing so, they actually loved God. But which one of these three were the ones who actually did for the hurting person what you would want done for you if you were a hurting person? Which one of these three actually did this? And it's kind of likely, it's, I think it's fairly likely, that the religious leader of this expert in the law who was asking this question, um, he probably didn't want it to be too clear. And he wanted it to be sort of confusing, right? He wanted to sort of fog up the conversation and make it a little bit harder to know who actually is my neighbor. And he wanted to sort of end the conversation probably with leaving with saying, well, it's a little bit too confusing. I'm not exactly sure who my neighbor is. I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do. So I don't have to do anything. Like, maybe at the end of the discussion, I'll just be safe and I won't have to worry about being in danger at times. Or maybe I'll leave this discussion and, and I won't have to be inconvenienced. I won't have to spend any of my money or spend any of my time or give of my resources or sacrifice any of my freedom that I won't have to do anything and my lifestyle won't be impacted. And I can sort of go along with my normal day and claim that I'm a good, like, spiritual, godly sort of person, that I'm not, that I'm, uh, not even racist, but really, nothing in this man's life showed evidence to that. And he wanted, he wanted to be not so clear so he could say something about himself, probably, that wasn't actually true. Continuing on, verse 36. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus, the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And what's interesting about this statement is most people who have studied this and read this find it really interesting the man's reply. Because the man can't even acknowledge the Samaritan, like the bad person, the, the person he doesn't like, actually did something right. He couldn't even answer the Samaritan was the one who did the right thing. The Samaritan was the one who loved his neighbor. He had such prejudice and racist feelings towards the Samaritans that he couldn't even say it. The, 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 the one who had mercy on him. <laughs> he couldn't even say it from his own mouth. Continue on, then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And basically, one way of looking at what Jesus says is he basically says, go and act like a Samaritan. Now, telling this to a Jewish person was so, so offensive. It was just more offensive than we can even realize because Jewish and Samaritan, it just seems sort of vague and it's a little bit confusing. We're not exactly sure what that means. So let me put it into more modern day terms that might offend you to the same degree that the Jewish man was offended when Jesus said, go and be like a Samaritan. Black lives matter. Now, some of you are saying like, okay, Chris, you've crossed over from preaching and, and now you're going into politics and you're bringing race into my religion, into Christianity. And like, well, that statement does bring racial overtones and political overtones into your Christianity. But so did Jesus when he decided to choose the most despised and the person that was hated the most to be the hero of the story, to make a point to this Jewish man of who and how he should act, actually act. Jesus told this Jewish man to go and act like a Samaritan, which was incredibly offensive. Now, this isn't the point of the message, but Jesus also had another famous parable where he talked about a shepherd leaving 99 sheep that were important to him to go and help the one who was in danger, who needed to be shown that that sheep mattered and that sheep was loved as well. 
Okay, kind of continuing on, another, another get off the soapbox now. Um, another way to sort of interpret this is basically for Jesus to say, go and do what you know needs to be done. When you see some injustice happen, when you see something wrong happen, when you see somebody who obviously needs help, and you can do something about it, you should do something about it. You should be there to love that person. When you see the, when you know what the right thing is rather, you should go and do the right thing. That is what is actually most important and that is what pleases God. So as we wrap up, I wanna ask a clarifying question. I wanna share a quote with you and then I wanna give you three decisions you can make right now to love your neighbor. So first, the question. Um, this is a question that if you ask with your spouse or ask with your kids or with your parents, with your siblings, if you ask it with your coworkers or maybe your HOA neighbors, if you're even willing to ask it of those who look differently than you or think differently than you or act differently than you, it will become painfully clear what you should do. And the question is, what does love require of me? Because if you're willing to do this whole love your neighbor thing and you're willing to actually ask the question, what is it gonna require of me? I think it will become fairly clear. And if it doesn't though, there's a pastor in Canada named Kerry Newhoff who says this, like is an emotion. And sometimes we get like and love confused a little bit, but he says like is an emotion, love is a decision. And maybe most of us have heard that kind of idea before. And so we wanna give you three decisions that you can make today to love your neighbor. The first one is you need to learn about them. Some of you maybe just even need to meet your neighbors first. You haven't even met them before. You need to maybe find some neighbors around you or you need to find new neighbors because everybody around you is pretty much like you and thinks like you and all those kinds of things. But when you're willing to actually learn about people and, and hear their story and hear about their pain, only then are you gonna actually be able to enter into their story and share compassion with them and show them compassion and love. So number one, you need to learn about them. Number two, you need to sacrifice for them. Because the Samaritan sacrificed his time, his money, and his resources to help the hurting man. And that in the same way that Jesus sacrificed his resources, sacrificed himself to help heal our broken relationship with God. And love is always going to require sacrifice. We just need to own that. We just need to admit it and face up to it. And if, it's going to, if we're going to have to sacrifice something to love somebody, that means it's going to cost us something. And for some of you, maybe you need to sacrifice your time and your energy and your resources right now to help people with COVID-19, that you need to actually be willing to give of your money and, and your food maybe even to help people in need during this season. Um, others of you maybe need to sacrifice your freedom, some sort of freedom that you have that really is kind of allowed in our country, but you need to sacrifice it to be able to help other people to experience freedom or to find their rights in this world. And if nothing else, maybe for you, you can sacrifice by wearing a mask even when you don't feel like wearing a mask anymore. And I'm with you, I don't necessarily wanna wear a mask anymore, but I also wanna sacrifice for people to love our neighbors and those around us. So number one, you need to learn about them. Number two, you need to sacrifice for them. And number three, you need to do for them. Because the Samaritan man showed the hurting man that he cared for him by caring for him. It wasn't his words, it wasn't even his prayers, it was his decision to do something that led to his healing. And in the same way, we must be willing to repeatedly act in ways that will show and demonstrate humility, compassion, and grace to people. Because compassion, really in order for it to work, it must lead to action. So what does love require of me? What does love require of you? What would it take for you to actually enter into somebody else's pain, to be able to step out of your comfort zone, to be able to experience somebody else's story? Because your decision to do that just like the Samaritan, might lead to someone's healing. 
And so during this whole transition during COVID-19 and, and during the, the important transition of uh, going through racial tension and, and discrimination, we need to understand that our response to this transition and these two transitions is going to reflect something about Jesus. And Jesus couldn't have been more clear that we are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, for this scripture. Thank you for this story. And it seems that you told this story in the first century for the same reason that you tell us, or that we would be able to hear this story today, that we have problems dealing with and loving people who are different than us. And God, for this situation with the Samaritan, you use one of the most tentious and most um, racist uh, relationships that the Jews had. And you use it to help show them and demonstrate to them what love was like. And maybe for some of us, you want to do the same thing. That you want to use this tentious, conflict-filled situation to help show us who we need to actually love. So God, would you help us to ask the question right now? Who is it that you want us to love differently? What does love require of me if I'm going to love that person? And God, would you help give us the wisdom to know what to do with that? And then God, would you also give us the courage to actually do it? And it's only in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.